Hello and welcome to Dedicated Packers, the podcast where we do care about the Green Bay Packers. And we don't care about anything else. Let's go. Alright, hello and welcome back to Dedicated Packers. Today we are going to do a two-part episode. The first part is where I'm going to talk about Aaron Rodgers and then the second part is where I'm going to give out awards to this Packers team, this Packers season, and sort of a create a big time review of the of the season. First I want to talk about Aaron Rodgers because that is what everyone is talking about right now. That is what everyone is going to be talking about until whenever free agency begins or whenever Aaron makes his decision. So I don't want to be talking about Aaron Rodgers until then because as much as we could talk about, so much of it would be speculation. And that's not fun for me. That's not fun for you because most of the stuff I'm talking about, I really don't know. So instead... I'm going to do a quick little wrap-up here, my thoughts on everything, sort of what all of the different options are. Not a, not a super long thing. If you want more of a deep dive, you can look at the some of the last three episodes that I did. The first one, I talked about the Packers' future and where they can go with Aaron and Jordan and all those options. And then in the next one, I looked at what I thought they would do with Aaron and what I think they should do with Aaron. And... So in this one, I just want to give you sort of a brief recap. Um, So Aaron, he's going to make a decision. And if that decision is retirement, then everything is very, very simple. The Packers, from a cap standpoint, will owe Rodgers some dead money, but they can relatively simply take care of that by just eating it this year. And if they just eat the something like $40 that they're going to owe him, then they're just going to eat it. It's going to be $40 million off their cap, but they're going to be done with it. They're going to be able to move on, get out relatively unscathed, unscathed from the enormous contract they signed him to. If, if, however, Aaron comes back, he, as we discussed on you know the Packers future episode that I mentioned before, if he comes back, then he can either be traded or kept around. If the Packers decide to keep Aaron... Well, then they need to pay him around $100 million over the next three years or so. And basically what that means is that the Packers are going to be in cap hell beyond 2023, most likely up to 2026 or even 2027, depending on how they choose to push out the money, because they will be in a position where they're owing Aaron for a long ways in the future, quite a bit of money, you know, 30 million, 40 million on the cap. So that is that is the cost of bringing Aaron back from a cap standpoint. Um, what you'd get on the field, you'd get Aaron obviously back for one year, maybe two, and in that you know time frame that he's back, one year or two, they would absolutely need to win a Super Bowl. And beyond that, who knows what's going to happen with Jordan Love, with other players on this team that need to be paid but maybe can't be paid because of what Aaron's taking up. We don't really know. So if they bring Aaron back, they have a one to two year window to absolutely capitalize on it and if the Packers trade Aaron then from a cap standpoint like if he retires they're going to need to pay him some dead money 
but that can be taken care of relatively easily by simply eating it this year, saying, okay, we're going to take it all this year. We're just going to suck it up and deal with it. And then you're done. Again, you've moved away relatively unscathed from a big-time contract, and ideally, you'll get a first-round pick and more back for Aaron. So those are the those are the two options right there. You can either keep him and say, we have this one- to two-year window. We're going to need to capitalize on it because we are really mortgaging the future to win a Super Bowl in this window, and you do have a better chance in winning the Super Bowl in the next two years if you bring back Aaron. And then... The second option, again, if he comes back, is that you keep is that you trade him off. You say, Jordan Love, you're our starter. We're gonna turn the page. In, we're gonna we're gonna move to the next chapter of Packers football. And I have said this many times. I think that the Packers will stay with Aaron, Goody, Matt, Mark Murphy, or at least two of the three. They all appear to be beholden to Aaron, and they remain persistent in their pursuit of the Super Bowl with him. I don't really understand why, but through all of their comments and as much as I can tell, they have fully indicated that they want him back and that is why I expect them to stick with him if he doesn't retire. Moving on, for me, is obviously the better choice. Uh, from a cap standpoint, I talked about it, you'll escape almost unscathed, unscathed especially compared to what you would owe Aaron if you kept him. It's something like $40 million versus $100 million. From an on-field standpoint, you are turning the page to a quarterback who can now only get better by playing in Jordan Love. You are letting your coach fully design the offense that he wants, and you're really turning the page in terms of Packer football because a lot of the coaches from the Shanahan scheme have some sort of major accomplishment you have zach taylor he's been to a super bowl you have kyle shanahan he's been to a super bowl many nfc championships is just going to another one as i finished taping today sean mcveigh has been to two super bowls and has a super bowl win but matt lafleur as we sit here today does not have anything like that doesn't even have an nfc championship win all he has is the best quarterback out of those three guys. So as far as I'm concerned, moving to Love just opens up a new window for Lafleur to get to a Super Bowl as opposed to continuously running back this old one that, as far as I've seen over the last four years, doesn't seem to be a very open window. So that's my opinion, okay? If we move to Love... What are my thoughts? I mean, I cannot thank Aaron enough for everything that he's done for this franchise. He's probably a top five quarterback ever. He is, in my opinion, the best thrower ever. I mean, if you want to see some incredible quarterback play, go look up 2011 Aaron Rodgers highlights. I mean, he was just insane. He gave the Packers their fourth Super Bowl. He gave all Packers fans 13 years of mostly joy and he gave us four years of just utter domination, MVP play in 2011, 14, 2020, and 2021. So, again, thank you, Aaron. That's that's all I have to say if we move on. If we keep Aaron, then I'm all in again. I, I hope the Packers don't trade Jordan Love, because if they do, oh my God, what a wasted pick. But for 2023, I'm all in on the Packers winning the Super Bowl. 
because that's what they need to do, okay? The Packers will absolutely need to win a Super Bowl if they bring Aaron back. I will, of course, be 100% rooting for them, and all of my focus is going to be on 2023, not the next offseason, not what happens with Jordan Love. For the 2023 season, if they bring Aaron Rodgers back, everything is on that team winning a Super Bowl, and that, I think, has to be the mindset of the front office if they bring Aaron Rodgers back. And I will go as far as to say right now, if the Green Bay Packers bring Aaron Rodgers back and he ends his career without another Super Bowl in Green Bay, and the Packers then bring in another quarterback, whether it's Love or some other guy, they start him with Matt LaFleur as the head coach, and that quarterback ends his career in Green Bay, having run the same hero ball offense that Aaron Rodgers ran, then the Packers, and it doesn't work, and it doesn't work, then Matt LaFleur should be fired. Because I fully believe that Matt LaFleur is going to go a lot more towards the Shanahan system with Rodgers out of town. And that's why I think it's time to turn the page. If he doesn't, cut ties with Matt LaFleur because that's what he was brought in to do. But I expect him to with Aaron Rodgers out of town. And I think it's time to turn the page. That's where I'm at. But again, if Aaron Rodgers comes back, I'm all in. Let's run it back. Let's lose in the divisional round, NFC Championship not even make the playoffs again who cares right screw it okay with that let's move on to awards and today we are presenting the green bay packers with all of these awards the mvp the opoy offensive player of the year the defensive player of the year the offensive rookie of the year the defensive rookie of the year the comeback player of the year the best play and the best game now let me define these awards a little bit more clearly for you the mvp is the most valuable slash important player on the Green Bay Packers. The offensive player of the year is the best offensive player on the Green Bay Packers. Oh, I should mention, by the way, the MVP cannot include quarterbacks because that's cheating. The offensive player of the year, that is the best offensive player on the Green Bay Packers. The defensive player of the year, that is the best defensive player on the Green Bay Packers. The offensive rookie of the year, that is the best offensive rookie on the Green Bay Packers. The defensive rookie of the year, that is the best defensive player defensive rookie on the Green Bay Packers. The comeback player of the year is the player who improved the most or overcame the most, whether it's, you know, improved the most from a poor season to a good season or overcame the most in terms of an injury. That's that best player on the Green Bay Packers. The best play is the best slash most entertaining slash most meaningful play by the Green Bay Packers. All of those can come into consideration. And the best game is the most entertaining and enjoyable. Both of those are going to come into consideration game played by the Green Bay Packers. So right off the bat, let's start with a comeback player of the year. And I'm going with David Bakhtiari. Now, David Bakhtiari came off two years without playing football. And not just his ACL uh, had been torn when he injured his knee on that fateful evening in December. I believe it was I believe it was actually New Year's Eve of 2020. But he also tore multiple ligaments in his knee and David, as a result, had to go through three surgeries. But it didn't matter because David Bakhtiari came in in 2020. And whenever he was on the field, 11 weeks from week three to week six, week eight to week 13 and week 17, he played at an all pro level. He didn't give up a single sack on over 350 pass blocking snaps. He was an absolute dominant force in the run game. And he elevated the play of every single person on the team. 
David Bakhtiari is, in my opinion, one of the most valuable non-quarterbacks in the NFL. I don't think there's really any question about that. And that is something incredible to say, considering how massive of an injury he went through. He's an absolute warrior, so I have so much respect for him in that regard because, I mean, I can't imagine how hard it must be to, again, almost not play a single real snap of NFL football for 365 days and then come in and play at such a high level and even just keep going through rehab knowing that, oh my God, this might end without me ever getting back on the field. So I have so much respect for him in that regard, but then it's just, I'm It's It's incredible how good he played when he was on the field he's a hall of fame type of talent and i think if he can stay healthy he's going to be in the hall of fame so david bakhtiari is my comeback player of the year my defensive rookie of the year that is quay walker he was brought in as a fast consistent tackler out of college we all knew that he had all the talent all the physical talent in the world and he started off by being projected as a big time contributor in the middle of this packers defense uh, i believe he was you know around fifth or fourth in odds for defense rookie of the year at the beginning of the season and he did he started off fine he showed all of the talent that we wanted to see in terms of his ability to track down players from sideline to sideline that was really really nice to see but you could tell that there were ways in which quay walker needed to improve um you can think of a lot of the times early on in the season where he was a step behind on a number of plays he seemed to have a difficulty diagnosing the run and just coming up and stuffing a run gap to make a tackle and that is something that is extremely critical for an off-ball linebacker so you i mean again all the talent was there but through seven seven or eight weeks or so you thought okay let's see how this extremely moldable piece of clay is going to be molded in these final nine games and then in week eight Devondre Campbell went down with a knee injury and so Quay had to come in and not only call defensive plays in the huddle but be really that main guy on the field the big time middle linebacker in the middle of the field and as a rookie that's really really hard to do and it took a toll on him his stats in terms of tackles went up because of course your tackles are going to go up if you're you're the main guy in there Um, But he wasn't playing at that next level that you maybe would have liked to see from him because he he had to have so much responsibility on his shoulders. However, he did not sink under that pressure, under the weight of the responsibility on his shoulders. He actually was a big reason that the defense stayed afloat in those games. Uh, And sure, the run defense wasn't great. In Philly, it was extremely suspect. But he... He, I am very impressed with the way that he was able to keep the defense running relatively smoothly. However, down the stretch, after Devondre came back, is where he really, really, really won this award for me. Because, as I said, through, you know, 13 weeks or so, you said, yeah, you know, he had a tough start to the year, and then it was really tough because Devondre was out. But he did, he played fine. But then Devondre came back against the Bears, and after the big-time Justin Fields run for a touchdown, Quay Walker absolutely balled out. Balled out down the stretch. On uh, the rare occasion where Joe Barry would send Quay Walker on a blitz, he absolutely flew upfield the quarterback. He forced a fumble uh, against the Rams on a blitz. 
against the run. He just improved as the year went along. He made some big-time run stuffs against both the Vikings and the Lions. I remember early on in that Detroit game in Week 18, I felt like I was just seeing Quay Walker come up with big-time stops every freaking play. So that was very nice to see him improve in that way. And in pass defense, he also improved. That is sort of why I'm giving him this award, because he he was good, or fine, let's say, when Devondre was out from that Week 8 to Week 13 period. But then down the stretch when the defense really started stepping up you saw quay walker really start stepping up he got much better against the run and the run defense got better he got after the quarterback because and props to joe barry on this joe barry used him more on blitzes and he was looking better in pass coverage so in that way i am impressed by what we saw to quay in his rookie season i think he has a huge amount of potential and that is why he gets my defensive rookie of the year award my offensive rookie of the year you probably think you know where i'm going with this maybe maybe you think i'm gonna go the way that i go but i'm probably gonna surprise a couple of you with this pick i'm going with zach tom and zach tom was absolutely incredible this season he played four of the five positions along the offensive line he played left tackle left guard right guard and right tackle against the vikings he subbed in at right guard in week one that was probably his worst performance of the year against the bills in week eight he subbed in at left guard and then against the commanders the lions in week nine the bears the rams and the dolphins he played left tackle and against the vikings and lions in week 18 he played at right tackle yeah just an incredible amount of flexibility from zach tom you can see it in there in those positions that i'm lifting off listing off at the guard positions he didn't play super well um though he certainly got better as the game went along in buffalo and there was a point there where he was he was doing some some good work in both the pass game and the run game he absolutely zach tom does needs to put on mass to become better in the run game but I wouldn't label him a liability in terms of how well he can block the run. He is not a force. He is not an Elton Jenkins type guy in the run game, but he is certainly a passable run blocker. And then in pass protection, he is really, really good. That's where he really, really shines. However, that all being said, I think the most impressive thing that I could say about Zach Tom this season was is not just the flexibility is not just, you know, the actual what he put on tape, but is the fact that the Green Bay Packers did not have to change their offense at all with Zach Tom in the game. They could, of course, run away from him, you know, run to the left side when he was at right tackle, but they could also run behind him. They could pass with him in without having to worry about, oh my God, is Zach Tom going to get beat here? Because he was really, really good in the pass game. And on offense, they could basically do whatever they wanted in the way they would have done it if they had whoever starting that Zach Tom subbed in for. So that is why Zach Tom gets this award for me, because having an extra offensive lineman that can fill in when essentially any starter gets injured is an absolute luxury beyond belief. And I think that Zach Tom is absolutely one of the Packers' best five offensive linemen. I think hopefully we'll get to see him compete with Josh Myers for the center spot or or and or actually Josh Nyman for the right tackle spot and hopefully we get to see him on the field a lot more in 2022 or 2023 because he saved their bacon numerous times this year he was 
extremely consistent when he came in, and he absolutely deserves this award. And then we move on to my defensive player of the year. Who's it going to be? It's Jair Alexander. It's Jair Alexander, baby. Now, Kenny Clark, if he hadn't had that big-time dip for five or six weeks, he might be in the running for this award, but he had a big-time dip in his play. Rashawn Gary probably would have won this award if he hadn't gotten injured in Week 9, but Jair Alexander, he played very, very well in 2022, and he came off of a season in 2021 where he played very few snaps because of a soldier, so, shoulder injury. However, he came into 2022, and in my mind, the reality is that Jair balled out. Was he the best cornerback in the league? No. But was he top three? 100%. And just like every single cornerback, you could say, oh, you know, here are some plays where Jair Alexander got burnt. Yeah, there are probably six poor plays on there, and I'll list them here for you. I'll list the six plays for you. Um, in Washington, Terry McLaurin, he got him twice. Against the Bears, Jair misplayed two routes. So that's four right there. Against the Cowboys, CeeDee Lamb burn Jair. I was I was live. I watched that. Jair thought CD was cutting inside, just jumped inside, and CD took advantage of it, went outside, and I believe he got a touchdown on that play. Uh, if he didn't, he got down into the Packers' 10-yard line or so. And then against the Titans, the sixth play, um, he got burned by Traylon Burks on a meaningless deep shot. However, other than those six poor plays, which sure, you can point to them, but other than those six poor plays, Jair Alexander had an absolutely lockdown 2022 season. As a shutdown corner, he took away most of one half of the field for opposing defenses, which meant that, or opposing offenses, which meant that opposing offenses were realistically playing with a portion of that field cut out. You take, you know, from on the left side of their field, from the five yard line back to the 20 or 25, back 20 or 25 yards from that you just take away that portion of the field because it's like, okay, Jair's in that area. He's in zone coverage there. Shut it down. I wouldn't throw there. And if he was in man coverage, well, now it's even more dangerous because you're watching Jair take away one member of your football team. Yeah, Jair was put in disadvantageous situations numerous times because of Joe Barry's insistence on playing 10 yards off. But even with that, Jair was really, really good, okay? When push came to shove, and this is probably what solidified him for this award, he said in week 17 to Joe Barry, let me play, Joe. And Joe Barry said, okay, I'm going to let you play. And Jair said, thank you very much. And he said, I'm the best corner in the game. When you try me with a sorry receiver like Jefferson, that's a result that you're going to get. And that's what happened because Jefferson didn't get a single catch when he was matched up against Jair, which he was on most downs. And... It was an extremely impressive put out from the Packers, an extremely impressive game from Jair. He showed what a study is. He is an absolute asset, and he probably makes any single defense that he's on twice as good. That's all that I'm saying. Jair Alexander, a hell of a 2022 year and a second team All-Pro. So congratulations to him on that. Then my Offensive Player of the Year, that's going to be Aaron Jones. Okay, now maybe you thought that I'd go a different way with this one, but to me, Offensive Player of the Year is the best offensive player. And Aaron Jones was the best offensive player for the Green Bay Packers, which is how I interpret this award. Throughout the year, Aaron consistently proved 
that he was capable of providing consistent and explosive running plays. Almost every single time that Jonesy touched the ball, it seemed like something good happened, regardless of the blocking that was going on around him. In Buffalo, with gaping holes, Jonesy was sneaking right through all the holes, picking up, you know, eight or nine yards with ease against Dallas. He was running behind his good blocking. He was making plays that way. But then, even when something broke down, when you took a pitch to Jones and the guy got beat, and so there's a guy in Jones's face, he somehow would sneak forward for seven yards or so and pick up a positive gain. Or in Dallas, when it was second and six, and he got stacked up behind the line, he just reversed field, cut back to the other side, and picked up 30. That's what Aaron Jones does. Yeah, Jonesy ran well under center, but he also provided an explosivity out of the shotgun run game that was really impressive. It displayed his elusivity, and it solidified for me his spot as a top running back in the NFL. Now, that's probably very controversial. You can make an argument for a bunch of guys. Saquon Barkley probably jumped up pretty high on that list this year. But Aaron Jones is so, so, so good. He makes great plays out of great blocking. He makes good plays out of poor blocking. And he makes plays in the passing game. Aaron Jones does everything. He is an extremely valuable asset. And I think the Packers would be in the playoffs if they'd used him a bit more earlier on. And then with that, we move to my MVP award. And my MVP for 2022 is Christian Watson. Now, MVP is, to me, the most valuable player on the Green Bay Packers. And here's why Christian Watson was the most valuable player. Because before Christian Watson's emergence, the Packers averaged 17, 17 points per game. Afterwards, the Packers averaged 27 points per game. The addition of one single player added 10 points per game to the Packers. That's outrageous. I I mean, that's incredible. Christian Watson, didn't matter whether he got the ball or not, he had an impact on the opposing team. Because when he didn't get the ball, he took up a lot of the opposing defense's attention. That, in the past game, would open things up for Lazard, Dobbs, Cobb, and Watkins when he actually played. When he didn't get the ball and they would run it, he would take, you know, a middle linebacker out of the play because a middle linebacker has to watch Watson. Or he would take that safety coming up that would otherwise shove the run gap. He just makes that safety hesitate a step or two, and a three-yard gain turns into a seven or eight-yard gain. When he did touch the ball, oh my goodness. I mean, that's all you can say. He took two jet sweeps for touchdowns, one against the Patriots and one against the Bears that iced a game there. He had an eight touchdown in four games stretch, and my goodness, off of play action, he opened everything up. He was extremely, extremely, extremely reliable. He obviously opened up the deep part of the field in terms of having a touchdown catch against the Cowboys um, off of a, you know, 50 plus yard bomb. He had a deep catch against the Lions off of another 50 plus yard bomb. And then you could also hit him on intermediate stuff. The Packers against the Bears right before that jet sweep that he took for a touchdown hit him on a dig route over the middle. Against the Eagles, Jordan Love hit him on a quick slant that he took to the house. Having a player as explosive as Watson opened absolutely everything up for the Packers. It allowed them to marry the play-action game with the pass game to a point that we hadn't seen at all before in that season, and it allowed them to become more productive from from a pure passing standpoint because of his threat. Watson, he was my MVP this year, 
believe me, he's only going to get better, and that should be extremely exciting as Packers fans. The best play. For me, the best play is going to be the Keyshawn Nixon kick return for a touchdown. From the Eagles game on, it felt like this play had been coming. Nixon, he had multiple 40-plus yard kick returns. Against the Eagles, he had, you know, multiple. Against the Rams, he had probably one or two. Against the Dolphins, he had some very big ones. In Miami, Nixon, on the first kick return of the game, took one for 93 yards. He was just unable to make that last cut to take it to the house. But then against Minnesota, Nixon took one right to the house, and it just felt like a culmination of all of the special teams' hard work. It felt like in a season where both the offense and the defense declined, the special teams got better, and that kick return touchdown was a was the culmination and really the the point where you saw, okay, this is what an exciting special teams is like. He on that Sunday Sunday afternoon against the Vikings that would turn into a 41 to 17 win for the Green Bay Packers, Nixon provided an extremely, extremely bright spot and it showed this is what a fun special teams is like. This is what a Super Bowl winning special teams is like. The other units just weren't quite there. And then the best game, the Packers versus Cowboys game. That's the best game. And it was definitely, without a doubt, one of the biggest bright spots in an otherwise relatively dull season. And yes, I am biased. Okay, I was at the Packers-Cowboys game. But I simply don't see how you could argue otherwise. The Cowboys game was filled with plays on all sides of the ball that one could argue for being the play of the year. You have Watson's deep touchdown early on. You have his second touchdown on fourth and seven. And you have multiple good plays, including two Rudy Ford interceptions. The comeback was executed because of an offense that fed off of the run game which was what we had really wanted the whole season long, an offense that played in rhythm, which is something that we'd wanted all season long, and an offense that executed in the red zone, which is something that, you know, we didn't really get for much of the rest of the season. In addition to that, you had a defense that came to play, be it with turnovers in the red zone, including one by Rudy Ford, or the defense getting stops when they most needed to. And so in that way, I think that the Packers really showed their best selves against the Cowboys. And the Cowboys are a good football team. They just barely lost to the 49ers, who are who I consider maybe the best team in the NFL right now. And the Packers beat that team. And they said, this is what we can look like when we're at full strength. Christian Watson emerged. But aside from that, the Cowboys game had to bring so much joy to a Packers fan. And so I think as a result, that's got to be the best game of the 2022 season for the Green Bay Packers. That is what I have for you. As always, thank you very much for listening to Dedicated Packers. I will be back on Wednesday. We'll see what we choose to talk about then. I will figure something out. We're going to have a bunch of topics coming, a bunch of you know season recaps thing. The awards is just one of them. But that is what I have for you. As always, thank you very much for listening to Dedicated Packers. And until next time. Go Pack Go!